the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again this morning as your people who need you, as your people whom you gave to Christ, that Christ redeemed by his blood. And we come to honor Christ for who he is as your son, for who he is as our Lord, and for the work that he has accomplished in our salvation. We come as a people weighed by many afflictions, weighed by many needful things, or we think we are needful of many things. But the scriptures tell us that what we need is Christ. And Lord, may you sanctify what we consider to be our needs, that we may see our need in Christ. I pray for your church, wherever it's named, that it be sanctified by the truth of the gospel, that your spirit will move your people to see Christ in their hearts, that they may believe on him, that they may proclaim him, that they may be saved. We pray for our worship service now through your word that you would speak to us. For Lord, if you don't speak to us, we are just playing. We need you, Lord, to come and teach us. Open the hearts of your people that they may hear you and hear you alone. Remove all the competing voices that distracts the mind and the spirit. Our Lord, I thank you for this hour. May you speak to us by your spirit. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in the book of John. John 1, verse 10 to 13. That's what we are going to be working on today. And because of the nature of the theology in those verses, I determined to title our sermon, Born Not of the Will of the Flesh, but of God. An alternative title, which is almost the same title, is Saved Not by the Will of Man, but of God. Because sometimes if we just say born, people don't really understand what the birthing is about. It's basically just saying, saved by the will of God and not of man. Professing Christians in the church world have many false notions and ideas that they hold to about God and salvation. They have false notions about how they were saved or how people are saved. They will acknowledge that they want a God who is sovereign over all things. But when it comes to salvation, to leave that up to man 
to decide or do for himself or herself. And this false understanding is, of course, coming from the same place, the Garden of Eden. In the same old lie from the serpent. And this false understanding has been imported, worsome, into an understanding of how we get saved even to our own day. Many people in the church world believe strongly that they are saved because they exercise their free will in choosing Christ. And if God chose them, it was only because he had foreseen their faith. They see God as reacting to their choice. They see God as reacting to what they have done themselves. So whether they know it or not, they do not believe that regeneration has to come before they have faith. And if a new birth is needed, it only happens after they have already exercised their faith in Christ. So they make saving faith as common to all men. They make saving faith natural to all men. So that the only difference between or among individuals is in their wisdom or lack of in exercising or recognizing the value of Christ and applying themselves to it. So ultimately they see themselves as some very good investors on Wall Street who are making good investments in the stock of Christ. Others believe that one becomes a Christian by water baptism or sprinkling children with water, which they call christening them. And as the theological expression would say, they believe in baptismal regeneration, that you become born again by being dipped in water. That is false. They unfortunately and falsely make their children Christians only to be heartbroken later when they desert the faith. They say they are raising children for God and in the process create a righteousness about it that even causes others to stumble over Christ. And people forget that, especially here in the United States, that most of the unbelievers were raised in the church. Most of the unbelievers, especially in this country, grew up in the church. They used to be very sweet children like the rest before they became unbelieving adults. They were raised in the church. All this understanding is unbiblical and disregards the sovereignty of God in the plan and purpose of salvation and it downplays or outright denies explicitly or implicitly the biblical teaching of man's utter ruin because of the fall in Adam. Amen. And it denies or minimizes God's glory in salvation. And Apostle Paul, in the verses that we are going to be working on, is going to correct this false understanding of salvation. And in the introduction, he has already introduced us to the state of the world when Christ came. The world then and now was not good. 
it was covered in darkness spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness and because of that that left you and me and all the children that we have with no merit before God we were left with no merit before God and John is going to tell us that just as Jesus is sovereign over the creation of all things he also is sovereign in who is saved and how they get saved. He's going to tell us that there's no merit in any man that moves God to save them. And if anyone is to be saved, it is 100% by his doing. And as Brother Guido read from 1 Corinthians 131, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, with that introduction, let's go to the text. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. It reads, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We have in these verses the depravity of man or the evidence of it. The sovereignty of Jesus as God in salvation. The necessity of God's sovereign and unconditional election as the basis of our justification and our adoption as children of God. And the means or instrument of it, which is faith. Verse 10. He that's Christ, was in the world and the world was met through him and the world did not know him and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. God was in the world that he created. He came as it were as one who was coming home. He came as it were as one who was coming home to his children and his children did not receive him. That's exactly the expression that's there. When Christ came, he was like one who was coming to his home, to his children, and yet his children did not receive him. They failed to recognize him for who he is. And why did the world not recognize Jesus? Because they did not want him. There's no one who loves Jesus apart from being born again. There's not one person who loves Jesus, who can receive Jesus, who can recognize Jesus apart from being born again. And Apostle John is already laying the background for us here as he builds us towards Nicodemus. So why did the world not recognize Jesus? Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. 
The world does not want Jesus because his light disturbs the affairs of sinful men. His light shines in the darkness of the heart of men. That is what Apostle John says in the beginning. And when it does that, men don't like it. Men do not like the light of Christ. Jesus' light puts everything about the heart of men in high definition on a very big screen. The light of Christ puts all the deeds of men in high definition on a big screen. That even in your own heart, you are going to see yourself in much higher definition than you ever thought. This is what the Lord says in Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And it is for this reason that the light has come, that which was spoken in the dark may be revealed. That has been spoken in the darkness of man's heart may be revealed. And it is for this reason that men try to shut out the light. But as John tells us, this is the light that cannot be extinguished. And here the testimony of the Holy Spirit in John 3.19. It says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Not good. So the reason why they shut out the light is because their deeds are evil. Men's deeds are evil and only Christ has the light to show it to be what it is. Men and women did not acknowledge Jesus then as the Lord of glory and it has not changed even to our day. The corruption of men has not gotten better even though the technology has changed. You hear people say, but we are way much more advanced now. No, we are only getting more advanced in ways of sinning. Nothing has changed. The hearts of men are forever bent towards evil unless Christ comes and changes the nature of the heart, we shall always remain evil. And Jeremiah would say in Jeremiah seventeen nineteen, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's only when the light of the Lord has been shown in the heart that the evil nature of it is exposed. Now, there's a second reason why the people rejected Christ. It was because of spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is a very big theme in the teaching of John the Apostle. You're going to find it all the way to John chapter 9 with the story of the man who was born blind and how Christ comes and he gives light to him as a sign of the light that is bringing to all of his people. And, but what do the scriptures say about spiritual blindness? We have some commentary also from Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, 
and it reads, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, among whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, so they would not see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. And he would also say in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what is the natural man? It is the unbeliever. It is the man or woman without the Spirit of God. And any who does not have the Spirit of God is described here as being blinded. They are blinded or they are veiled. Their mind is veiled to spiritual realities. And if their mind remains veiled to spiritual realities, the Holy Spirit says they are perishing. They are already perishing even as they are walking. They are perishing. If your mind is veiled to the things of the Lord... And this has to be our prayer. This is our most needful prayer to ask the Lord to open our minds that we may see spiritual things. Because in it, there is life. The life of God is only had when our minds, which is our hearts, have been opened to the things of Christ. So to the natural man, Jesus and his gospel remain veiled. And when Christ came, he found the world dead in trespasses and sins, with nobody able to hear or recognizing, uh, recognize him. So, related to this then, how do we know that we are spiritually awake? The evidence that you are spiritually awake is that you recognize Jesus for who he is. If you read the book of John, it is very clear that Jesus is concerned about his identity and your appreciation of the fullness of who he is more than anything else. So he says, if you just think that I am a man and you stop there, then you have not heard from God yet. Christ wants you to recognize him, recognize him for who he is as God the Son who has enfleshed himself and enjoined himself to humanity. And by the failure and rejection of Christ Jesus, we establish the doctrine of human depravity. If there's any evidence that men are fallen and are totally veiled to the things of the Spirit, it is through their rejection of Jesus Christ. There is no other greater evidence than that. The one who is light, the one who is the Son of God, who is doing all these miracles, he is raising the dead, he is giving sight to the blind, he is straightening the hands, the backs of all these people who are bowed down by different infirmities. And yet people say, crucify him. Crucify him. We don't want him. So the Bible teaches that all men, all born after the first Adam, are not good. 
all born after the first Adam are not good. They are corrupted in their wills, in their hearts, their bodies, their affections. The whole person, the totality of the being is corrupted to its core. It's corrupted to its core. And it cannot be made better by bleaching like soiled clothes. And it cannot be made better by a diaper change or air freshener. And it cannot be made better by the works of religion because it has gone that deep. And many try to cover up all this by works of religion. And that won't cut it. So some people will say, denying the total depravity of man will say, but we are good people who just make mistakes. And after all, to make mistakes is only human. According to God, humans do not make mistakes. They sin. When you talk about making a mistake, you're talking at a human-to-human level. When you're talking about human-to-human level, you are using a human scale. But when you compare yourself to God, we now have an issue of a set standard of righteousness. God is the standard of righteousness. And we have fallen short of that golden standard. And whatever we call mistakes are not mistakes. That sin that has to be paid for, it requires you to pay for it. So sin has a standard that is external to you and me. And it's external to you and me But your comparison is not another man. Your comparison is God himself. Not even an angel. And for those who may know, the Greek word that is translated sin means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. So we have missed the mark and God is the mark that we have missed. So to this, the Bible would say in Romans 3, 10, and 12, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. So here the summary. There's none that does good. There's not a single one that does good. There's not a single one who has any understanding. What kind of understanding? Spiritual understanding. It's not saying men do not know how cars work. They do know how cars work. It's men who has been making cars. They fix them. But the Lord says they have no understanding. They've all become unprofitable. There's none righteous among them. That's the summary of all men after the first Adam. And a lot of people would say, well, the problem that we have is just low self-esteem. Like in our culture of therapy, we want to medicate everything. And all the things that you see, the big programs on TV, they're all about giving people Therapy. Your, all, your problem that you have is that you don't have enough 
esteem. Your esteem is just low. So we're going to help you by giving you the right steps, the right program, right exercises. Just read the right books and your problem will be solved. And these are recommendations that are coming from other sinful and spiritually dead people. And the Lord says to all these things, whether they are happening outside the church or have been imported in the church as they have been these days. We are seeing a lot of Eastern mysticism that's coming in and cropping into the church. We are, we are seeing a lot of this importing of these things and putting them in, into the church and Christianizing them. Okay, They are being Christianized. But the Lord says this to all these things in Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, these are all basic principles of the world. And if you are in Christ, you have died to all those things. They have no more authority on you so that I can come or anybody to impose them on you. Or even to judge your Christianity and say, you are not walking right with Christ because you are not doing the things that we are doing. We are not doing this meditation. You are not taking this yoga class. Because the yoga classes are not just yoga classes anymore. They have taken a spiritual aspect to them. So their meditation is not meditating on the person of Christ, on the work of Christ, none of that. They're just meditating to the principalities and the powers. So the Lord says, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? So the moment that you allow yourself to those things, you are like someone who is still living in the world. Yes, we are living in the world, but we are not of the world. He says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. So all these things have an appearance of wisdom. Because as soon as you start talking like them, suddenly your profile just goes up. You get invited to these places to come and talk. You just have like thousands and thousands of followers just spewing that kind of nonsense. So if it is religion, on the other hand, if it is religion that has crept in into the church... They will say, yes, men are fallen, but we are not completely in the coffin. Yes, we are fallen, but we are not completely in the coffin. Yes, we are fallen, but we are in the recovery room. We are not in the mug. We are in the recovery room. Yes, we are fallen, but we can still ring the bell to call the doctor to bring some medicine. We are just on our beds watching TV. The Bible does not say that at all. It says... Dead men do not take medicine. The Bible says dead men do not take medicine. It says you do not want the medicine. The Bible says you would not be able to even recognize the very doctor that has to perform surgery on you. 
And if anything, you're going to take him for the janitor. And that's exactly what they did with Christ. That's exactly how they failed to recognize Christ for who he is, who is the doctor who came to heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind. So the Bible says, you are already in the hands of the mortician, if not already buried in the ground with Lazarus. And because you're already buried, you're going to need a spiritual resurrection. You're going to need to be raised from the dead. And the Lord has to perform that work. And it is because of this condition that the scriptures would say, we're dead in trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2.1. And Apostle Paul would say, we were sold under sin. Romans 7.14. And we were in captivity to the law of sin. Romans 7.23. And by nature, we're children of wrath in Ephesians 2.3. So all these statements are descriptions of the darkness and the spiritual blindness that possessed men then and still possess men even in our day. And until the light of Christ has been shown in the hearts of men, they shall remain six feet down in the ground spiritually. And as I said, the ultimate show and demonstration of the blindness of men is their failure to recognize Christ. They failed to recognize Christ. They failed to worship him. They failed to bow before him. The only thing that they could see of Christ is that he is our enemy. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Not, not that man who doesn't even have a name. Give us Barabbas. They could name the name of the sinner, but they could, name, they could not name Jesus. Not him. Crucify him. So that was the ultimate show of men's darkness and blindness. And we too were among the crowd. We were among the crowd shouting, crucify him. And if the Lord would come in the same manner that he came the first time, I will tell you the majority of the church won't even want to hear him. If the Lord Jesus Christ were to show up as he was in the beginning when he came, when he was born, and he gave a 45-minute sermon, he would empty the whole place. The whole place of the people who are confessing Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what he did when he came. The Jews were waiting for him. They had been reading about him. They were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah shows up. And what happens? Crucify him. Who needs him? So he says, if, if it is true then that no man seeks after God because of our fallen nature, there's no one who seeks after God. There's no one who is willing to seek after God. But we have to understand these things because they are critical to our understanding of salvation and our peace. Because if we think we have some ability, we tend to underestimate the fact that we know some things about Christ. 
You don't know the things of Christ by your own volition. You don't seek the things of Christ by your own. It doesn't happen that way. You are totally unable and unwilling unless the Lord has made you willing. And if you are unwilling and unable, that leaves only one option. If you are unwilling and unable to come to Christ, that leaves only one option for men to come to God. And that is God himself has to come to you. God himself has to come to you. And if you still remember from Genesis 3.19, the very first question that God ever asked men is in Genesis 3.9. Where are you? That's the very first question that God asks men. Where are you? God has to look for you. God has to look for you and he came for you, he came looking for you. Because he knew that you were in trouble. He knew that just like Adam and Eve, you had started attending the Fig Leaf Baptist Church. According to Elder Morris. Self-righteousness. You're covering yourself. He has to come and seek for you. And men downplay that because they Realize the implications of those statements. If God is the one who has to come and seek after you, then it means everybody else who doesn't come to them, he did not come and get them. And John is going to teach us that also. So he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Who are these people who were his own who did not receive him? We know that in this context, it were the Jews. He came to the Jews. Jesus, according to his flesh, is a Jew. And he came to his people. These are the ones, like I said, who had all the prophets, the law and the prophets. And Moses had even told them that the Lord is going to raise another prophet like unto me, and you should listen to him. They're waiting. They're waiting. They have John the Baptist is talking to them about the coming Messiah. They have Isaiah. They have Ezekiel. They have Jeremiah. They have all these things written for them. But when he shows up, they don't want anything to do with him. So Israel and the Jews were a representation of you and I. Do not ever think that, well, if I was at the mountain... At Mount Sinai, with the children of Israel, I would have done better. If I had just been there when the Lord parted the Red Sea, I would have done better. If I had seen the water coming from the rock, I would have done better. No, Israel was always disobedient because that's what depraved men do. They are always disobedient. And listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 44, 16. This is Israel speaking. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. As to the word. The problem with Israel is a problem with all men. And it could have been with another nation. It doesn't have to be Israel. If the Lord had taken any other nation, the story would not even change. Where there's a period, there would be a period. It would still be the same story. And the Lord Jesus Christ summarized their rejection of him 
in the parable that he taught in Matthew 21, verse 33 and to 43. I'm not going to read the whole parable. I'm just going to paraphrase it. In this parable, we have the landowner, the parable of the landowner. Uh, again, it's in Matthew 21, verses 33 to 43. We had a landowner who had a vineyard and had rented it out to some farmers. And when harvest time had come, he sent his servants that he may collect fruit, but all the servants were beaten and killed. And lastly, he sent his own son. And in this section, here's what the Lord says. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. So in this parable, the landowner was God the Father. The earth was the vineyard. The nations of the earth was the vineyard. And the people of Israel were the tenant farmers. The prophets are the servants who came with the Lord's message, but were beaten and stoned and killed. Then lastly, who was sent? The son. And Jesus Christ is the son. And when they killed the son, they put him on the cross. They crucified him. They murdered the son of God on the cross. So this was their rejection of Christ. And the Jews, when they heard this parable, they knew exactly who he was talking about. So if the Jews could do this, you and I absolutely had no chance of doing any better. You and I absolutely no chance of doing any better. We have to guard our mouths when it comes to the Jews and say, oh, those guys were just so bad. <laughs> we are just as bad, if not worse. And verse 12 then would say, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is a very, very important teaching that the church does not know about. This is an important teaching that you rarely ever hear, if at all, from any of these prominent names in the church world. They will never teach on that. It's assumed what it means. It's assumed what it means. It says, those who received him, received him because of God's gracious election and work in them. That's what that is saying. Those who received Christ, Christ was not totally rejected by all there were some who received him but they did not receive him because they made a proper evaluation of him apostle john gives us the understanding as to how these were able to do that which everybody else failed to do yes to a little bit of theology when you are reading the bible there's a reading of the scripture, the statements as they are. And then there's a second reading of getting the theology of what that's, those statements are saying. 
There's a theology to it. The theology that comes from it is a fact that has been given by God. And God, by this statement, is teaching a certain truth that you have to understand. God never intended to have man to enter into his eternal blessedness by works of our obedience or righteousness. Now, that's theology. Our father Adam could not have given us eternal life by his own obedience. It doesn't matter even if Adam had not fallen, you could not have entered into the blessedness of Christ through his obedience. It's impossible. Adam had to fall. Adam had to fall. And praise the Lord that Adam fell. Because if Adam doesn't fall, Christ does not come. And if Christ does not come, you have no life. You have no life. So eternal life is only given as a gift of God and not something that men earn. Men cannot earn eternal life because you have to be an eternal being to give something that's eternal. And if eternal life is a gift from God, men had to be in a situation where it was impossible for them to earn it. And that was the purpose of sin and the law. You see, the sin did not just show up from nowhere. This understanding and say, when people want to teach human responsibility, they, they teach human responsibility and sin as something that comes out of the blue that God has no idea where it came from. Sin and the law come from the decree of God. Sin came from the decree of God that you and I would be in a situation where we could not earn a righteousness. And after sin, he had to bring the law. And the law was given that to show, to reveal that you are a desperate, sinful being. The law was revealed to show you that you are a desperate being incapable of earning life and incapable of obedience. You are incapable of obedience. I don't care how much you try. You are incapable of obedience. And to show you your need of Christ. That is what Galatians teaches. Okay? The law was not designed to make you good. But this is my expression. It was designed as it were as a polished mirror to make you not see your beauty. It's a highly polished mirror that does not tell you that you are beautiful, but that you are ugly. Throw away the mirror and run away to Christ. That's the purpose of the law. And anybody who wants to come and sound like they are really honoring God and say, oh, we are under the law. No, you are not under the law if you are in Christ. You are under the law of Christ. You are under the law of Christ. That is what Apostle Paul teaches. So Moses brings the law to slay you. Christ brings the grace to recover you. 
And when John talks about the law came with Moses and grace and truth with Christ, he has that in mind. He has that in mind. It was not just put there by accident. So those who received him did so how? The ones who received Christ, how did they receive Christ? Did they receive Christ because of their goodness or they received Christ by believing on him? We are told that they believed in Christ. By faith they were justified. And to these he gave the right, which is the legal right, to be called children of God. They were a people to whom he gave the gift that they should receive the word and become children of God. And we are told these were given the right to be called children of God by God himself. Okay? But then some people, when we say these things, they'll say, oh, but I thought that all people were children of God. All people in the world are children of God. And the answer to that is yes and no. It's yes in the sense that God is the one who has created all. But when it comes to spiritual matters, the answer is a big no. Because here, John says they have to be born in a special way. They have to be recreated in a special way to get the title of children of God. And the ones that he has given that title have a special relationship with him because of Christ. He put them in Christ. He chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. And because he did that, these are the ones that were given the gift of faith. So in John's theology, we are not called the sons of God. When you read the book of John, John does not call us the, the sons of God. The sonship that he talks about only respects Christ. Christ is the son of God, but we are children of God. So he wants us to not be confused because the sonship of Christ is unique and peculiar to him than ours. We have our sonship as children who have been adopted through a new birth. And Apostle Paul, when he teaches, he teaches the same theology. He says we are sons, but he says we are adopted sons. He says we have been adopted. Okay, so still they both make a distinction between the sonship of Christ and our sonship. So people are only God's children. You have to listen to this. People are only God's children, according to John, or their sons, according to Paul, in one sense only. In the sense in which they respond to what God has done for them in Christ. That's where the sonship is. So the sonship is your response to what God has done or is doing for you in Christ. If you remove that, forget about it. You are not a son of God. So John says, these ones who are the children of God 
Listen to what John does. He three times negatively say what did not happen to them to be called children of God. Three times negatively. Number one, they were born not of blood or natural descent or ancestry. Number one. Number two, nor the will of the flesh. They were not born not by the will of the flesh nor the will of man. So that completely removes man from the picture. That completely removes man from the picture. And John purposefully piles all those things up for the one purpose, to undo Jewish pride in their ancestry. Because they were thinking, oh, we are Jews. We are saved. Oh, Abraham is our father. Or Isaac. Or Jacob, we have the books, we have the law and the prophets. We are the people of God. And John says, no, 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 not that fast. I need to teach you something. Okay? So he says, your salvation and whether you're called the child of God is only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. And he says, nothing human no matter how great or excellent can command you before God as to make you his own. That's what he's saying. So the birth that John talks about is the kind that only happens by the miraculous power of God. You have to be born of God. Therefore, all human effort and initiative is completely taken out of the picture. All of it, completely out of the picture. And people are born into the family of God only through Jesus Christ. And those statements of Jesus saying, I am the way, those are very dogmatic statements. And they're coming from this, they're connected to this kind of statements. But he is saying, if you have to be in the presence of God you have to come through me because I am the one who is doing the work of salvation. So if you reduce Christ to just some other guy, then you're not going to understand this. And, and you hear people say, oh, but I believe there are many ways to go to God. Of course there are many ways to go to God. But there's only one way of salvation. You have to come through Christ. One way of salvation. So, this teaching of John undoes this teaching that is in the church of having covenant children. We are having covenant children that we are giving to God. We have way much more understanding of how salvation works than the time when they only had the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit has opened the way, the window as it were, for us to understand more into the works of God in salvation. There's no covenant children. The children that God wants, he gives birth by himself. Okay? And this is what he said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. And not only born again, you must be born from above. Okay? And this is something that your mother can't even give to you. It has to happen outside your control 
from heaven. That's where you're going to get your new birth. So people need to understand what John is saying when it comes to the new birth and salvation. It's very, very, very important because it's very easy for us to build a lot of legalism and a lot of things around how we raise our children. We have the responsibility as parents to teach our children the gospel. We teach the gospel, we show them the things of Christ, but the work of the new birth is the work of God. If the Lord so pleases, he will do it. With your help, without your help, he's going to do it. If these children belong to the Lord, and I pray they do, it is my prayer that these children will belong to the Lord because that's the only hope they have. The hope of our children is not that the government is going to balance the budget. The government may balance the budget. But if they lose Christ, a balanced budget cannot help them. So we have to teach the true gospel. Because if we assume that our children are saved, we are not going to expose them to the truth of the gospel. We have to teach. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said. In respect to the designation of children. Why, have you ever thought why the Lord would say children, called children of God? Why the designation as children and not, nothing else? According to the teaching of John. Hear what the Lord says in Luke 18, 16 to 17. Let the children come to me. And do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly I say to you. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Will by no means enter it. Children are but examples of the kind of faith. That does not trust in itself. Children have the kind of faith that does not look to oneself. Children have no major achievements in their name to trust in. They come with a resume with no skills or accomplishments except the name of Jesus. The, their resume is a blank page. It only has their name. What resume can you write of Zoe? She has no accomplishment. And when Jesus is teaching about that, he is really purposing in his construction. He is purposing for you to understand the lack of advantage that children have. And he's saying, you too, if you have to approach me, you have to come on a blank slate. You have to come on a blank slate. So all that come to God in Christ, all that come to God in Christ, come as those with nothing to give. All those who come to Christ come with nothing to give. Faith alone, faith alone is what makes one a child of God. Faith alone in Christ alone is what makes one a child of God. But there's more to being called children of God. It means one has been justified from all their sins. It means you have been justified from all your sins. And it also means there's been a change of status that happens through the new birth. 
a new beginning, a new creation. Death to life, blindness to sight, darkness to light. All these are things that happen to those who are the children of God. So the children of God, they received him. They received Christ because they had been given the sight to see Jesus. And as a preacher and as a teacher, the goal here, whatever else we may get involved in, let us ever, never be consumed by it in as much as it takes away from you recognizing Jesus. But it's very easy for us to make this more important than what it is. And then we put our importance to our own church or put importance to myself. Whatever we do, if any man would come up here, our goal is so that you may recognize Christ. Amen. That's the only point. If we do that, it doesn't matter if we stay as small or as big, it doesn't matter. Our function, our work is so that people may see Christ, recognize him. But let's connect with what I said earlier. If men are totally depraved, because, you see, when it comes to reading the Bible, people don't want to think. People don't want to think. The implications of things. If men are depraved, and unwilling, as I said, people don't want to come to the conclusion that they are helpless now. Amen. They don't want to be helpless, and yet that's what is good for them. God wants them to be helpless. <laughs> God wants them to be helpless, because when they're helpless, then they can see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Justification by faith alone. What a beauty. It's glorious. So, if you have no merit before God, the only way you're going to make it to heaven is if God chose you to be there. The only way that you're going to make it to heaven is only if God chose you to be there. It doesn't matter. If you get to heaven and you see Adam, and I hope you're not going to kick him like John Hagee said he was going to do when he get there. Everyone that you're going to see in heaven is only there for the same reason that you're there. They were saved by grace. They were saved by God's grace. It doesn't matter what accomplishments they did. The children that God wants cannot be born by human decision. The children that God wants cannot be born by human decision. I went to school, the boarding schools that I went to, we're all church schools. We went to church every day. On weekends, we went two times. We went to church every day. There was a reading of the scriptures. I don't know if it was just me being dead and veiled, or most likely that was what was happening. But it's not all of those people who named the name of Christ. They had Christ. You know the people that you grew up with. You know that they went to church. They don't name Christ. You know even amongst our own families, 
The Lord has not chosen them all. So this is the Lord's doing. They were in the church. They were exposed to the gospel. The gospel was there. And I, I need us to reflect on the reality of God's grace when he brings you and I to the place of faith. He purposed that you and I would know Christ. That would possess, possess the glory that is in Christ Jesus. So the children that God wants, he gives birth by himself. The children that God wants, he gives birth by himself. And as the Jews were saying to themselves, we have Abraham. But here, what John the Baptist even said to them in Luke 3.8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. God is able to raise children to Abraham. And Apostle John would develop that concept in John 8. We have a discussion there with the Lord Jesus Christ with the Jews. They said, we are of our father Abraham. And the Lord says to them, well, if we are of Abraham, you would do the deeds of Abraham. You would believe in me because Abraham saw my day and he was glad. And Apostle Paul would teach the same theology and say, a new birth and salvation is not the work of man. It is by the grace of God. It is the grace of God. And he says it in Romans 9, 15 and 16, which reads, I will have mercy on whomever I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. It's not about our running, but as we run, let's not lose the confidence that the Lord may use us as means to bring his children to himself. So, what are we to understand? We're getting ready to close. Salvation does not happen outside God's election. Salvation does not happen outside God's election. We become children of God only by the power and will of our God in Christ Jesus. It's Christ who has raised us from the dead. Amen. And Apostle Paul would say, and such were some of you who were dead in trespasses and sins, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And he would also say in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is, the, it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So why do some people believe and others don't? I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and her husband just came to faith after 15, 20 years of prayer. And she was trying to understand like how do these things work? And I said to her, 
is by grace alone. It's by grace alone. And it's because of grace alone that it is by election. Because if God chooses some, it has to be by grace all the way. It can't be grace and then say, let's look to your contribution. You have no contribution towards your salvation. If you contribute anything to your salvation, you're going to hell. You have to receive everything as Christ is given. And this is what Apostle Paul would say. For someone who would listen. Because you see, we repeat these things for the sake even of others who may listen to these messages. They don't hear these things. They don't know that these things are in the Bible. Listen to what 1 Corinthians says, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. So election is for the reason that you and I can only boast in what God has done. You can't say, oh, because of my prayer. No, no, no. Your prayer cannot bring anybody to Christ. God has to. If anything, he may, he may, by his grace, look like he's honoring your prayer. But it's only because he chose the person that you prayed for. So the children of God were chosen in Christ in Ephesians 1.4 and were predestined to adoption as his sons in Ephesians 1.5. And like I say, this is not a popular teaching in the church. Men do not like this teaching that gives all the power and glory to God. And Jesus Christ is going to say in John 15.16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I pointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So your fruit shall remain because he is the one who is working in you to cause it to remain. So, in conclusion, remember who you were before. But sometimes... Because we struggle with sin, we forgot where we have come from. We have come from very far, from a far away country of sin and death. And the Lord has brought us to himself, and we still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go, but the Lord has already completed that work. The Lord has already completed that work. We were the blind. We were in darkness and unable to receive or recognize Christ. But a new birth was given. And a new birth was given. And the new birth is given individually. It's not given to you as a group. 
So at one point in your life, the Lord actually said on that day that you were born again, the Lord was thinking of you. He sought you that day. You have to think about that because it's true. The Lord God in heaven, busy receiving all the praise and honor, is thinking, oh, there's a robot that I need to save. And I'm going to awaken him to spiritual things. He is such an intimate God. And he seeks out his own. And when Christ comes and says, I am the good shepherd. What is he saying? He's saying, I am God. And I seek out all my lost sheep and I bring them to myself. So, you are a recipient of amazing grace. You have been given adoption to become children of God in Christ. And when Christ went on the cross, he is going there with you in mind. He had your name, even as much as he is crying, he is aware that he has your name on his heart. Just as the high priest, when he went, entered into the tabernacle, he had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his chest. He had your name in, engraved on his heart that I am going up on the cross for her and for him. So you have become children of God because you have believed. And because you have believed, you have been justified. And to be justified is to be declared righteous by him, by the righteousness that he has given you in Christ Jesus. You are so righteous right now beyond what you can believe. And if you have been born of God, but the apostle is clear to say you were not born by the will of man, but of God. And if it is God who has given you a new birth, you cannot be unborn. And if you can't be unborn, you can't lose your salvation. We cannot teach a gospel that causes one to lose salvation. It's not a gospel. The true gospel says, if you have been born of God, you shall never be unborn. Because the Father is greater than all. And he will keep you from stumbling. So what is John saying? He is saying salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's all he's saying. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're pleased to make us your children in Christ Jesus. Children who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but by your will and power. And we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ was pleased to go on the cross that he may give us a new birth. It was on the cross that he had the birth pangs, our birth pangs, that he may deliver us to the newness of the life that is in him. Lord, we Thank you for the words that we had 
today. May you implant them to the hearts of your people, that they may build a sure foundation of their understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for them. That this gift that they have been given cannot be taken away from them. They are children of God by your doing. By his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. Remind them, strengthen them. Help the weak in spirit. Remove the blindness that is on people's hearts that they may hear and see the beauty of Christ. Lord, we pray for your people as they go out this day. May you keep them from stumbling. Cause them to always look to Christ in all things. We pray in his precious name. Amen.